Well, g'day there. Thanks for joining us today. If you are here listening today, no doubt you are here to get better at spearfishing and have a few laughs along the way. Now, as usual, today we pull out the tips, stories and wisdom from yet another Spiro expert or authority. His name is Tim McDonald. He's been a little bit of a hero of mine since I started spearfishing. Uh, he's also Brisbane based. He's a Christian pastor there out in the uh, western suburbs of Brisbane and he shoots some phenomenal fish. And this interview today is jam-packed with some of his wisdom and tips he's learned from years in the sport. Uh, we do a big deep dive into three species, uh, barramundi, pearl perch and jobfish, the infamous uh, green jobfish or uku, and some of the tips that we... we um, we here today are absolutely phenomenal. I can guarantee you're going to learn something, uh, especially around electronics and finding the fish, um, which sounds to be, you know, more of a skill sometimes than actually hunting the fish. But uh, an absolute phenomenal interview here with Tim today. Before we get there, we've got shout outs, a bit of news, blog, and a call to clubs, spearfishing clubs, and some and a book update. So bear with me. All right, first up, shout outs. Now, We've had a few, so this is good. Latest uh, latest new Spiro review on Facebook. Thanks, Hamish Hamilton. He says, such an awesome podcast. Listen to you guys while I drive up and down the coast from Sydney to the Gold Coast. Requested your book for Christmas too. Ha <laughs> ha. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Hamish. Uh, uh, crafty Catch and another bloke from the United States. No matter your skill or experience level as a Spiro, Spira, you will find a wealth of actionable information on the Noob Spiro podcast. Love hearing that actionable word. It's just such a Noob Spiro thing. Good stuff. Jimmy DeSanto left a message on the website. He says, Turbine Shrek, you guys are pumping out the best content. Keep it up. Don't stop getting such great guests on the show with the perfect questions. Keep up the great effing work, you bad mother effers. Jimmy the Jew Crusher. The Jewfish Crusher. What a fantastic message. Good stuff. All right, Kyle, Kyle McTeague. Hey, love your podcast. You guys should interview Josh Humbert. He's the Jim Russell of Oregon. It will make a great podcast. Let me know if you need more info. Kyle. So thanks to that, Kyle. Definitely want more info. Josh Humbert sounds like an absolute cracker to get on the guest. If he's uh, anything like Jim Russell, he was absolutely awesome. And last but not least, we've got a Stitcher review. Now, if you guys leave us a review anywhere for our book, our podcast, whatever, you're definitely helping us reach a bigger audience. And uh, God knows we need we need, we need need a bit more of that to help pay the bills around here because, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's just a good help. Anyway, thanks. So, Svenjamin, essential to becoming a better Spiro. Love listening to these guys. They interview awesome, such awesome people, and the knowledge I have learned through binge listening has improved my spearing in literally two weeks by tenfold. Amazing interviews with people from all over the world and some pretty good humour in there too. That's that's awesome. Thank you for that. And uh, Stitcher, we've only got one review on there, so don't be shy. Uh, also, the podcast is going live on Spotify. This week, hopefully, will be approved. So if you use Spotify, you can now find the Noob Spirit podcast on there and hopefully SoundCloud as well too this week. All right. Now, a uh, bit of news. So, look, if you like learning about hunting techniques, Turbo has written a cracker article. It's called Hunting Stripe Sea Bass with David Hoshman. Now, if you just pump into Google, Noob Spiro, Hunting Stripe Sea Bass with David Hoshman, there's like a pretty good in-depth article about hunting the species, um, you know, out of Rhode Island where, D where Dave Hoshman operates Spirit Charters. Um, 
Turbo goes into deep into some detail here, and it's it's a bloody cracker article. And you know, even though it's about one species, um, a lot of the the sort of the the big tips and information is transferable across a range of species. So get on there, check that out. So just pump into Google hunting striped sea bass with David Hoshman, Noob Spirit should come up. Uh, next one. Uh, look, if you are in a spearfishing club then we want to get your details. So the way to do that is go to noobspiro.com. Up in the menu, in the About section, if you scroll down, there is a Spearfishing Club Connections page. And basically, like, we're just linking up all our spearfishing clubs all over the world. So we can uh, reach out and connect with each other, and there's a nice place for guys to come and find, you know, reliable spearfishing clubs in their area because, you know, it's great that we can all reach out and connect to each other and, um, you know, New Spiro is all about helping build these sort of these global relationships and partnerships. So it's awesome to get a few clubs up there and connect with a few you guys. So like I said, if you're in a club or you're, especially if you're in club leadership, reach out to me, Shrek at NoobSpiro.com and um, pump in your spearfishing club details because uh, as you'll see there, there's a few criteria I want to know about before I pump it up, but just so the guys have enough information. All right. Uh, Thirdly, this is, this is it before we get into the interview, so bear with me. Right, the book. The book is the book is happening. 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. The hard print copy is underway. It's underway. I had I sent a box off to Turbo on a slow boat from China, as he said. Um, however, we had some dramas. I sent it in a wooden box. So guess what? It got sent back. Now I've had to repackage it and learned a lesson, but anyway... Um, so I'll be sending that back to him. There'll be advanced copies going out to all of the people that contributed to the book, send us in photos and things like that. So thank you, guys. Um, we would like to have the book officially launched everywhere March 1st. Um, I don't know how ambitious this is. The, the book's nearly ready to go. We're looking to get some advertisers in there. Um, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's collected wisdom from you know, a lot of our interviews and some of the tips and wisdom. So we'd love to get some advertisers in there. And we also want to hear from shops, Spearfish shops that want to stop stock our book because uh, it's, a, it's a big task so if we can pre-sell a lot of copies uh, before launch day that'd be fantastic so if you can help out with that let me know shrek at namespiro.com love to hear from you so awesome let's hook into today's interview with tim mcdonald thanks for joining me today apologies for the longer uh the longer intro but look you are not going to miss out today i can guarantee you stick around tim mcdonald awesome Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash Noob Spiro. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. Get a couple of books that Turbo and I both like. The Tim Ferriss books, uh, 4-Hour Workweek and The 4-Hour Body are both available. I also like the look of uh, Undisputed Truth by Mike Tyson. And check that out at audibletrial.com forward slash noobspiro. G'day guys, if you're in need of some new equipment, maybe a new gun, some fins or anything else you can think of, check out spearfishing.com.au. That's the online store for Adreno. They have got a huge range of gear, anything you could ever think of. And not only that, if you use the code noobspiro at checkout, so go to checkout, it'll say enter a code, put in noobspiro and you'll save yourself $20 on all purchases over 200 So do yourself a favour, get on to spearfishing.com.au, save yourself some money and get some great gear.
All right, g'day, Noob Spiro community. Welcome to another episode. Today we're joined by Tim McDonald. We've been trying to get him on the show for quite a while. He's a hard man to pin down. He's busy running his church, uh, City Point West, there in Brisbane. And uh, it's a real pleasure to have him join Turbo and I today. So welcome, Tim. Thanks, boys. Good to be here. Thanks for coming on, Tim. Mate, let's get some background on you. Uh, where did you start? When did you start? How old were you? Uh, mate, I'm an old guy now. I'm 40. So I started, uh, my son's 15 now. I started when he was born. So 15 years ago, started here locally in Brizzy. Actually spent most of my first couple of years just short diving out of out of Tweed, places like Kingsliff, Hastings Point, all those sort of areas. That was where I pretty much kicked off my whole spearfishing right there. And uh, what obstacles did you did you have starting out? I mean, it's a pretty uh, condition affected area of the coast, um, and I mean, we've seen it shrink in recent er- recent years with the amount of places we can spear down there. What did you sort of encounter? Uh, when I first got started, probably my biggest challenge is we had no idea what we were doing. We were like old pair of bodyboard fins swimming out off the beach, you know, with surf and wetsuits. I started diving just because, you know, it was it was too flat to surf, so we, we jumped in and out of spear. Hand spearing and, you know, I think probably the biggest challenge was just simply we had no idea. There was no real internet to fully learn much stuff off back in those days either. So it was just trying to pick it up and learn as we went. It was probably the biggest challenge we faced. That's part of it too, I think, sometimes, and I, I sort of learned much the same in the same sort of area as well. Um, apart from equipment and not really having anyone that, that knew what to do, how, how did you sort of, how did you advance? Was it just years plugging away? Who, who was your, an early mentor? Probably when, when I first kicked off, the guys I was diving with were just friends from church, friends that, you know, a bloke that I played footy with that, that took us out, and none of us had any idea. So we, I read a book. Um, Umberto Pelizzari's book, uh, Manual of Freediving. I've read that one. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think also I probably just had a bit of a, a natural ability to hunt straight away. I was diving with these guys on the first day. You know, I shot a few big bram and, and a whole bunch of fish that these guys had never even shot before. And they're like, hey, where did you shoot that? I'm like, I don't know. I just saw them <laughs> over there. So I laid behind the rock and shot them. Um, uh, and so I probably had that natural hunting and, and thinking through how do I actually get different fish. And then I bumped into guys like Ray Powell, and um, Ray was, was a great early mentor. Uh, he taught me a lot, and, you know, sometimes I think he was pulling my leg and pushing me in the wrong direction every now and then, but uh, he did actually teach me a fair bit along the journey and okay. probably really got me thinking about hunting and got me thinking about, you know, the different species that are actually out there. And um, from that point, it was from hand spears, so let's actually get a spear gun. So that were probably the, the first parts of our journey there. Mm, so I've read Umberto Palazzari's Manual of Freediving too. That is a huge book. That's a big undertaking. What were some of the, the big takeaways from the book? I mean, how did you, because it's, it's, it's such a big, and it's quite a scientific manual, how did you sort of boil it down and, and make it practical to use with your spearfishing? And honestly, I probably took two things that even 15 years down the track I still think about. Uh, he made two statements in there. He talked about the fact that breathe-up is not about getting oxygen into your body. Breathe-up's about relaxation, and that's boiling down a couple of chapters, but that's one of the things he said that I really thought about. And, um, you know, the ability to hold your breath is, you know, such a really important part of spearfishing and hunting well if you can hold your breath for a long time. So for me, that was one. The other one 
that I took away from it. He made a statement in there that holding uh, your breath's great, but surface time's also important. And um, probably something I took into spearfishing early, that one of the statements he said, better off having three times surface interval than your bottom time if you want to be able to free dive well. Um, now that, that sounds crazy for every comp diver to think of. Most of them, are, if we can have three times on the bottom, we can on the surface. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. for me, I probably evolved my spearfishing early into you know hunting fish that are more difficult, that are probably a little deeper. So it served me really well. Um, you know, I've been diving 15 years, I've never had a blackout, never had a samba, um, never really even been close to those things, yet I've seen lots of other people do that. Probably the only reason I have not is because I took those two bits of advice and they really served me well in my early spearfishing. Mm. Yeah, I think the way you summed up uh, big parts of the book was quite interesting. And, uh, yeah, sometimes, I mean, I read three or four pages and I just have to put that book down because even now it's still there's just too much in there. Um, so, yeah, no, the two very good takeaways. We've been talking a lot recently with guests about extending our surface interval. And do you use a dive watch? Uh, mate, I did up until probably last year when my battery went flat, and then you just reminded me I haven't got it fixed yet. Uh, but up until that, I, I did. I, and, mate, I religiously used the dive watch not to see how deep I've dove or anything else other than just surface interval. Um, I think probably 15 years down the track, you know, my head tells me how long I've been on the surface anyway. And um, if, I, if I look at all my videos that I've watched, I know pretty much my head's pretty clear on how long I've been up and down and, and, it, and it works. My videos timing-wise show me that I, I stick to that anyway. So It's funny It's funny you started, we've alluded to it already. I've heard you're a shocker with equipment. Um, so you started off with bodyboarding fins and it sounds like you're still neglecting your equipment a little bit. Oh, man, I'm so bad. My mates do more maintenance on my boat than I do. Uh, you know, I still just terrible with equipment and I break lots of stuff. You know, yeah. I got a, a desk filled with broken cameras and broken gear and yeah, I'm terrible for it. I still still really bad. It's a shame Daniel Mann's moved overseas because he used to fix my stuff all the time. And yeah. uh, now he gets angry when I ring him up and go, dude, how do I fix this flopper? How do I fix this? Like, man, I told you a hundred times. Uh, honestly yeah. I never listened in the past. He just fixed it for me, which was great. Yeah, yeah, and I guess he's the he is kind of the uh, the yin to your yang there because he's very much a gear dude. He he loves mucking around with stuff and playing with things and building things. He's yeah, so and he's and he's brilliant too. Like he's got a great mind for it and uh, can actually develop equipment well. Mm. I think probably the only person worse than me is Bryson She. He's a disaster. <laughs> if something if he's got a scratch on it, he just buys a brand new one. He's so bad. And then he'll lose that the next week when he's away at work as well. He's terrible. Yeah. I've seen you put some gear through its paces in its time. I mean, maybe let's go there now. So next part of the show is memorable fish. Um, I remember watching a video of you getting towed behind a black marlin. That, that must have been pretty memorable. Um, and uh, it definitely looked like you put that spear gun through its, uh, through its paces and you told a bit of a story about it. Can you uh, maybe share that story with our listeners? Yeah, mate, like, uh, that was, I guess, a really memorable fish. Probably not the hardest fish I ever speared. I uh, didn't even have to dive uh, to shoot it. So, for me, it was it was memorable just simply because it was huge. Um, I actually remember the moment I was about to pull the trigger. 
and you know they come in behind me the sharks were on me and i was pushing off the sharks and and when it when it come in it was like so close i just was thinking man i need to one fish this thing i need to stone it and i just you know had the real gun and it was click oh crap and then it smoked me so um mate i've still got that 120 euro now so it, it's still the my go-to gun i love that gun and yeah. mate, it's actually one of the original ones that come into australia so it's even a different shape to all the other uh euros that are that are around now they're a bit square this one's actually round it's a wicked wow. gun i think dan was telling us that uh he's had it apart for you and uh refinished it he said uh, <laughs> yeah. he got it one day it was that waterlogged you could barely lift it so he's had he's had to reseal it for you <laughs> mate, we, we wrung the water out of it and we gave a small country water for about three months yeah lots <laughs> in there I'll link that video up in the show notes so people can have a look. But it, it went, it went like 130 something kilo, and it was a monster. I remember you, you, you sort of swam towards it, and it come back at you, and then uh... yeah, Mate, it was for me, it was one of those moments that someone said to me years ago, like if a big marlin's there, swim at it, and they just hate being intimidated, and it worked. Man, it was one of those things like, yeah, I'm glad that really worked. I just swam at it, and it turned back and come straight at me. And um, that that was that was the cool uh, moment of the fact that something that I got told years before actually worked and worked well. Um, so recently, you, you've done a bit of travel. I see you got over to the uh, the the east coast of the United States. Yep. How did you enjoy that? Was there any more memorable fish over there? Mate, those striped bass were pretty cool. Um, mate, getting to dive with a good mate of mine, Hal, that was awesome, and. Getting to meet John Danielis was pretty cool as well. He's another rife diver and great hanging out with him for the day and diving together. Yeah. Um, mate, those striped bass, uh, uh, they're cool to see in the water. Mega schools of those fish, unbelievable. Mm. And, um, mate, diving, we, we dove a few different places, but uh, one of the spots we dove was near a, uh, mate, it looked like an old castle that's a, a lighthouse, which is just epic. Oh, okay. going off all the time um millions of people mate there's more zeros over there than even here which is unbelievable yeah we've got a we've got a lot of listeners in california actually and um we've we've interviewed a few of them lately it's good to hear that they, they've um sorry Cal, that's california's the other side but the rhode island guys are also in touch with us quite a bit as well so yeah it is crazy how big it's taken off over there because they get a lot of dirty cold water as well so Mate, the first day, 19 degrees on the surface, 14 degrees on the bottom. Ooh. And it was just like, oh, I have a five mil suit and that's great. But when you hit the bottom and your teeth are sore, you want to keep your mouth closed and you're just, <laughs> just not used to that sort of water temperature. And you come back to the surface in 19 degrees and it feels like a bath. You know it's cold on the bottom. So what, just a big, what, where was the, was there a big thermocline, like a sudden change or...? Yeah, just you, you hit it. It was actually cleaner on the bottom. It was cold and clean. And, um, yeah, mate, we didn't actually see a, a striped bass for the whole incoming tide until the tide turned and and the water sort of warmed up on the bottom. And then, bang, there are those fish in mega school. Okay, cool. Let's, let's go to the next section, hunting technique. So what's your favourite hunting technique and how do you apply it effectively? Maybe you could apply it to some of your favourite local hunting, if you like. I think... I think what makes a great spear fisherman is learning what hunting technique works for what fish. And, uh, you know, I'll probably put more thought into hunting fish and finding fish than probably most spearos 
I uh, talked to a lot of line fishermen as well as my own Spiro mates throwing these ideas around. So it's a really hard one to, to really nail something down. Uh, mate, I, I prefer chasing those tough reef fish. That's probably high up on, on my uh, preferred spearfishing. Uh, so therefore, hitting the bottom, hiding, learning how to hide well, and, and those sorts of things probably my preferred technique just simply because i really enjoy chasing those sorts of fish all right cool i mean in a veteran's vault we're going to put you under the pump a little bit about some of those local species so that might be interesting to hear your take with hunting techniques in us on a specific fish but um yeah no so i mean is it do, do you do you call it a speto what you do or do you just is it just and, and, dude i'm the worst person for technical names uh, <laughs> so I don't yeah. call it a speto because I don't necessarily know what a speto means. I'm guessing that means laying on the bottom. <laughs> we don't really either, but I was just chucking it out there. Well, Mate, it made you sound hugely intelligent. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we, we talk to guys all the time and, you know, a guado and a speto are two terms that Italians sort of gave to different types of hunting and sometimes it can be an effective way to label something, but I think there's a lot of nuance with even within those techniques and... Um, it sounds like you've got your own variations of, of perhaps both. So I definitely don't know what the other aguado means. <laughs> Ambush. That's just moving Ambush, around. Basically. <laughs> Ambush, right. Yeah. Dude, I, that, yeah, so I, I, I think Ambush works well, obviously, in, in the right environments. Mate, for me, I, there's no doubt um, little things that you pick up along the, along the journey. And I think for, for the new Spiro's listeners, for the guys that are really just getting into the sport, that is that is what makes you a great spear fisherman. Learning that stuff, and memory-wise, I, I remember spear fishing spots like I've got a photographic memory when it comes to that. I could draw you a, a detailed map of every spot I dive, but I also remember what works for certain species, and that's probably what's helped me to hunt some of the fish that you know. I, I think probably me and the guys I dive with shoot fish that don't often get shot in this area. Uh, just because we've had to learn how to, how to do that well, and uh, you know, mate, I've got a good memory for that. I'm like, you know what, in this spot that worked, and this worked over in that spot, so I want to try that again. Way wow, it worked again. Um, they're the, they're the sort of things that make again for me. One of the big ones is just laying on the bottom, being there for a long time, and laying in the right spot. I, I I've heard um, a couple of things about you. One was. Um, you you, you you work hard when you're out there. If you're up there, you're out there before everyone else and quite often you're the last one back in. And I, I also heard that you have got a photographic memory. Uh, one guy said, like, you, you're doing a drift and you, you tell them when to dive and what they're going to see and where the fish are going to be and you, you, you pretty much you can predict quite closely what's going to be there. And um, so maybe you do spend a lot of time thinking about it. Probably spend, probably spend too much time. If you ask my wife, I'm sure she'd say I spend too much time thinking about it. When we go away together, I'm like, okay, let's go away from the ocean so I'm not thinking about what's out there all the time. That's a really good idea. Um, <laughs> mate, I, I just had a really good mate of mine, Lee Mitchell from over west, came over and, you know, he's like, oh, I want to hunt purple cod, I want to shoot a big tusky, I want to shoot this and that. And, you know, we just listed off the things that we wanted him to shoot and then it was like okay let's look at how we're going to do that and mate we're doing drifts and i'm like okay you're going to come to this ledge and this ledge will be here and the fish will be there and you need to come around the back of that and these fish and mate <laughs> he shot big purple cod the first day 
Um, shot a 14 kilo black spot tusky. Oh wow! Shot a big finger mark, big large mouth nanny guy, and he's just like, man, like every time I'm on the front of the boat drawing a picture with the water on the windscreen, he's just like, dude, you just spoon fed me so bad. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man, I, I think those are the sort of things I do easily remember. I'm not overly sure why I do, but it just sticks. Oh, well, you're passionate about it. Um, talk, talk to a few guys that are that are a bit they're a bit similar in terms of you know how much they love it and how passionate they are about it. So yeah, cool. Um, we've heard, also heard a few scary stories that you've been involved with. Um, a memorable one was I think um, losing a boat and the and the, was it the mouth of the Tweed. That, yeah, that was that was a pretty crappy day. That one actually, uh, mm. and, and it wasn't my boat, which was even worse. Losing a mate's boat that you borrowed for the day is a disaster. But oh, uh, really, yeah, not not actually sure totally how that all happened. But the long run of the story was it was getting late. We'd been diving all day, and um, my mate had just had a bit of fiberglass work done on his boat, and. And there was heaps of fiberglass stuff caught and just coming out of the hull, and uh, the bilge kept getting clogged up with with uh, like the you know the fiberglass matting. So like, three or four times during the day, I had to unclog the bilge, and maybe it was like maybe four thirty in the afternoon, and maybe even a bit late, about five in the arvo, and I just shot a, shot a big jobfish, and and we had no no current, we anchored up, and I was with my mate Josh Ball, and pulled up this big jobby and he's like oh awesome any others i'm like yeah there's a few fish down there and he's like well let me see if i can shoot one i'm like mate it's getting late it's starting to rain a little bit it was dark i'm like let's let's bail and he's like oh mate, just keep an eye on me it's going to do one more dive mate, i chucked that fish in the boat and i heard a splash and i'm like splash what just happened i'm like i thought i actually threw it over the boat because i sort of just lobbed it and i'm like so i ducked my head under i'm like no i can't see it the other side of the boat put my head in the boat and i'm like oh my goodness Boats oh, no. just mate, just full of water. I don't even know what happened. We'd been anchored for probably 15 minutes at most. Oh wow! And uh, I'm just like ball jumping in. We, we're in trouble. And I jumped in, flicked the bilge, and it's blah, 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 and it was all tangled up again. And I'm like, I can't even get at the back of the boat. Um, I'm like, we need to get moving, or we're done. And he tried to jump on, and then in the end, we had to cut the anchor open. We got separated, and mate, oh uh, wow! We were driving the water out of the boat. And the motor died, and she just went boom down. And I'm sitting there, balls a million miles away, and uh, we separated. It went dark. I let off a flare, and just uh, as I let off a flare, a boat had been coming through, and actually found Ball, and uh, he was hanging on the anchor rope. Picked him up and come and grab me as well, and and the guys were just not keen on tying Bryson's boat in. So we come looking for it the next day, never found it. Um, found bits and pieces of it all over Cook Island a, a couple of months later. Obviously, we just smashed into a million pieces on Cook. And like, two days later, it was that really big swell we'd had. And, yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was one of those moments when the sun's going down. Just, I'm sitting on the nose of the boat, and I can't see my mate. When I saw him coming, when I saw Ball coming in the front of that boat, I almost cried. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Shocker. Mm. Uh, this definitely comes in at one of our, our top sort of toughest situations in a boat. Um, what were some of your, your takeaways from the situation? What would you, what, what's changed in your, in your sort of habits or behaviours with, with boats because of this? Mate, the next week I went and bought a second bilge for my boat. And, okay. uh, <laughs> just a normal bilge and a, a one that pumps like a thousand gallons an hour sort of thing. I, I bought two bilges and I think, mate, two bilges in any boat's a really good idea. Mate, if we had a second bilge, 
if we would have built our boat out, we would have been going in and we would have been saying, oh, man, can you believe that bilge clogged up? That's how we would have been telling the story. So yeah. I, I bought a second bilge straight away. Uh, I always make sure my bilges are in working order now. And Mate, honestly, I think in hindsight, I reckon that the hole cracked on it. He had fiberglass work done. I reckon the hole cracked for, for water to just go in it that quick. Probably, yeah. The only thing I can think we've had, we've all talked about it a million times. Like, how did that even happen? Yeah. So we just dropped the pick, all of a sudden they're both full of water. So, yeah, mate, I, I think, um, you know, a couple of the designs, little 16s, you know, they can get water in them really quick. That's something that you need to understand. And so having two bilges is real important. Mm-hmm. And I think for anyone that's got a small boat, like, you know, we're doing massive days running 100 plus kilometres out and 100 plus kilometres back on some days in a 16 foot boat. So, bilges are important, bilges are important, motors that work well is important. <laughs> and they're the sort of things that I'm, you know, probably learn to be more focused on. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, cool. Well, that was a really good section, a really good story. I, I didn't tee up for that, so <laughs> kind of landed you in it a little bit, I guess. Um, but I'd, he- I'd heard about that story, so I was interested in sort of finding out what happened. Sometimes it's time to spend some money on yourself. There's nothing like a new spear gun. That's right, head over to spearfishing.com.au and check out a big range of spear guns. Get tempted and read the customer reviews and really sort of have a look at what they've got to offer. Turbo and I love the Manny Sub roller guns. You can buy them at spearfishing.com.au. Go in and check out the spear guns. If you do decide to buy something, pump in the code NEWSPEAR at checkout and save $20 on every purchase over $200. If you do have problems, they have a hassle-free returns policy, cheap shipping rate worldwide, and a price beat guarantee for Australia. You can also check out the stores in Brisbane, Sydney, or Melbourne and get help from more than 40 underwater experts. Online, they also have live help. You can talk to people online and ask any questions you might have about products. So head over to spearfishing.com.au and check out a huge range of spear guns. Chances are, if you're listening to the Noob Spiro podcast, you love hearing other people's adventures, stories, tips and techniques and what they have learned from around the world. Now, Spearing Magazine, Noob Spiro's partner, have got the best spearfishing magazine in the world and it is jam-packed with stories from all over the globe. If you go to spearingmagazine.com, you can buy yourself a subscription to the magazine and get a free hat or long-sleeve shirt. That's spearingmag.com. Yeah, look, we we, uh, we chatted before the show because uh, the next part of the show is Veterans Vault and it's where we sort of go deep into an area of our guest expertise and really wanted to dial in on hunting a few different species and uh, Turbo and I had a quick chat and we, we, we sort mm. of just listed them off and we hope you can help us out today. Um, we wanted to chat about barramundi, green jobfish, and pearl perch, three kind of difficult species to get in Queensland and, and perhaps anywhere. Um, I, I guess we could start with barramundi because perhaps they might be the shortest and sweetest of the of the, of the list. The, the first thing to do with barramundi is to drive north. <laughs> if you live in <laughs> Brisbane like I do, get in a car and drive north. And the longer it takes you to drive, the better chance you've got to shoot in a barra. That's pretty much uh, what works works here. Um, obviously some of the challenges of that number one we have a closure for three months from from the end of October through to through to February so um, that's one of the times that obviously you can't target barramundi 
the other issue is obviously just clear water and dirty water. Um, dirty water is probably the, the the biggest challenge that we have uh, when, when it comes to hunting barra. Probably amplified with the fact that uh, um, the the barra and, and the crocodiles start to be in the same environment once you start heading north of Brisbane. And, and that's probably, you know, the big challenge. I think in the last couple of years after we had floods in 2011, the crocodiles sort of actually got a lot thicker. Um, uh, the, you know, they're starting to see crocodiles in, in big numbers in places like Bund- in Bundaberg and in some of the rivers and creeks around there. Out of 1770, in some of the rivers and creeks, they saw crocs after 2011. Um, obviously, that's all a, a key part of the fact that you know, those, those crocs sort of got moved around a lot with huge flooding that we had. But obviously, Barramundi also got hugely thicker. Um, some of those some of those dams up there lost 100,000 fish over the walls, which is pretty oh, wow. um, You know, I talked to some of the guys up there, and they just talk about, you know, watching, standing, watching the, the walls and seeing hundreds of barra an hour go over the walls. And obviously, a few died, but a few made it as well. And, and uh, it's probably harder these days up, up in some of those places to find a, a true saltwater barramundi and not just the dam fish. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, put a lot more fish in, in uh, the environment, which is obviously cool for us. We want to shoot them, so yeah, <laughs> being yeah, more yeah. fish makes it easier. Uh, mate, probably understanding the life cycle of barramundi is, is a key one. If you go to places like Mackay, um, one, of the, one of the best places to shoot barra, they actually get really clear water there in winter when they get all that calm weather. And um, the barramundi actually come out of the creeks because they're escaping the, the cooler waters. Especially okay. big barramundi can't handle the, the temperature changes. So, this, you know, you go up the top of a creek, say 1770, you go up the top of some of those creeks there, and overnight the water temperature can drop five degrees. Oh, you know, wow. a, a metre barramundi will die just from a five degree um, temperature shift in, in a couple of hours. So. They, they can't live up the top of the creeks where they're usually in the mangroves and they're usually up in the real dirty. They, they start to make their way down towards the mouth of the, the the rivers and the creeks and, you know, places like Round Hill Headland, you start to find barramundi swimming around the front of Round Hill Headland. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so the reason they do that, they just they need a stable environment to live in in winter. So if you're a Queensland diver and you want to shoot a barramundi, head north in winter and that's your best chance to find them in water that's clean enough to dive. So um, I probably just gave away one spot that's that's worth having a look at. Uh, and some of those other areas around around 1770, those areas get cleaner quicker. That's probably your, your number one. If I, if I was a Spiro trying to find one, that's where I'd start. Mm-hmm. And they're a top eating fish. Um, so that's a, that, that's a good one. What's your personal best, Barra? Um, mate, I shot one that was a metre 18, so... Two centimeters under the max size, <laughs> uh, and and it went twenty one point something, twenty one point five, I think, or twenty one point something. I can't remember exactly the point of what it was. Twenty one kilos. Yeah. Um, wow. Mate, that that is probably impossible to happen now. Getting them that heavy. Uh, that was a what we call a swamp monkey. It comes out of the impoundments and. A natural saltwater barrow at a metre 20 is probably between 20 and 18 and 20 kilos. They're a lot leaner than those swamp donkeys that are just really fat. They've never had to swim against current in their lives. They're in those impoundments just eating bony brims and, and other baby barrow that are chucked in the water there. And so they just get so fat. Um, 
I shot just recently a barrel, it was a metre 15, and it went 15 kilos. So, you know, significantly okay. lighter, but also not much shorter, mm. um, which is probably most salty to that sort of weight. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty lucky. That was a timing thing. Uh, make 2011, 12, 13, probably the best best hunting for big barra in our lifetime. Probably never happen again. Those dams never spill like they did after 10 years of drought, probably. So, so if yeah. if you are out around one of these headlands, um, you know, in winter time, as you sort of say, and the, and the water's cleaned up, maybe you got th- three or four, or maybe five meters vis. What's your sort of what's your what's your approach on them? Are you, you just got to find them and get on the bottom like a jewfish, or I mean, what what do you? What's your sort of how how do you once you've found them, how do you approach them? And with those barra on those headlands that I just mentioned, you, remember you're going to probably have had ten other spiros through there that weekend, so um, they're going to be a bit spookier. If you go to places a bit more isolated, um, you got places like Mackay where there's lots of isolated area. It doesn't really matter. Barra can be stupid. They can be sitting next to a rock thinking you can't even see them. You can shoot them from the surface. But in those areas where they're being chased around, probably seen 100 spears fly them over the course of the winter, um, <laughs> definitely approaching them from the bottom and approaching the areas that you know they're going to be, which takes trial and error. Uh, I think I probably gave away as much as I probably should on that one. As guys then learning where those areas are around there that they're going to be. But obviously, you know, places where there's place room for them to hide, they love hiding. So, yeah, um, cool. yeah, they're the sort of things. And then approaching those areas really quietly from the bottom, yeah. uh, not from the surface. It's not like, oh, over there's a good spot. I'm going to swim over from the surface. Well, there goes five barramundi, and you're not seeing them again. That's you know, probably not a smart idea, especially if you got four or five meters vis, which is, mate, if you had four or five meters vis hunting barra, you've you've done well. Predominantly, our barra hunting is one to two metres, yeah. and at times even less. You know, we design 70-centimetre roller guns to hunt barra, 8mm spears, 18mm rubber, and really super sharp just to hunt barramundi in filthy, dirty water. You've got um, big scales too, don't they? Big scales. Hard to get spears through sometimes, and having a 70 centimeter gun gives you a, a small spear so we upgrade it by using an 8 mil one which is a bit more punch a bit more weight and obviously the rollers really help to throw that with enough punch to go through a big fish um mate one of the big parts of that and this is something that people don't realize is important but having the the mental strength when you're hunting in dirty water is something that is key to making a, a really good spear fisherman um, most guys just get distracted and they start to just not think about it. You could be swimming around looking for a barra for two hours and not see one, and then bang, he's right in your face when you haven't got your finger on the trigger and you're not ready, and you just blew your moment. You don't see a barra for the rest of the day, and it's like, ah, crap. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where, mate, for me, that mental strength, like you say earlier, that Mate, we dive all day, and it's been turned on and focused that whole time thinking about it. That's what works. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Let's move on to uh, pearl perch, which is a kind of a, like a deeper water saltwater species that we get off Queensland, particularly in the winter months, I believe. Um, you've had some success with them. They don't. They don't. We don't seem to catch them in huge numbers. They're generally not a real big fish, but they're probably one of the best plate fish I've ever heard of. Um, You've caught a few. What's your what's your best? 
what's your best one? Uh, last year I shot one uh, three point something kilos, three point four eight, I think it was in the yeah. end. So maybe seven pound or something like that, but like a really highly desirable species. Everyone wants one. Um, oh, the, the Queensland record is two point seven five kilos, and it stood oh. since nineteen sixty eight. So <laughs> I, sh I shot that one in Queensland, which I should have claimed as a record, but I thought I could do better, so I thought I'd wait. Um, but yeah, like you know, they don't get really big, but man, like you say, they're great eating. Mm -hmm. All right, how can guys um, think about uh, maybe hunting and approach or approaching uh, one of these, a pearly? Mate, honestly, pearl perch would be the easiest fish in the ocean to approach. Um, obviously, most of the spots we find them, not many guys are diving, not many guys are looking for them. Mostly, we find them in deep water, and um, and most of the time, I find them on a sounder before I even dive a spot to even look for them. Uh, they're the sort of fish that, if you're if you're a good fisherman, and and you know some of the best guys that become spear fishermen were good fishermen first. Uh, if you're a good fisherman, you can usually find them on the sounder. Usually looking in deeper water. You usually not looking at the biggest country out there, maybe even small country, just little bits of rubbly rock. Um, but you'll you'll see them on the bottom, you'll see them on the sounder, and that's the sort of thing that, that we do. We find them on the sounder before we even jump in the water. Um, kind of like red kind of like red emperor maybe. Yeah. And honestly, if you want to find big ones, you gotta find a spot that not many other people are fishing or spear fishing. Mm. Um, and probably spearers have less impact. Obviously line fishermen can have a huge impact on them and, and they're easier to catch on line, they just eat everything. So <laughs> Um, mate, I, I think just finding somewhere new and when we when we find spots, you know, we can find spots that have 50 pearlies on. I've got some wicked footage of just massive schools of pearlies, oh, just wow. pearlies swimming all around you, you know, and we'll go there and we'll shoot a pearly each and we'll leave that and it's just a little out of the way spot. So, you know, probably not many people are going to find it and fish it and spear it. So mate, it's the sort of spot you can just farm and every time we go back there, you know, we shoot pearlies all the time because I've got these little spots that have huge amounts of pearlies on them and we only shoot one or two at, at best um, and just leave them. Like. How, does, how does the uh, school react when you shoot one? They scatter and that's it for the day or they, they're pretty forgiving? Yeah, they're pretty forgiving, hey? That, if, if it's not a spot <laughs> that you, you're given a flogging, they are really forgiving. They, they are the sort of fish that probably is just too dumb. Like, And, and that's why there's not lots of them around in the shallows. You go down to places like Coffs Harbour, you find them in 10, 12 metres of water in big. Like I've shot three kilo fish down there in 10 metres of water. So again, spots are a little bit out of the way. No one's line fishing them. You just jump in, you're like, oh my goodness, what is there a massive pearly doing sitting in the school of Sergio's? Um, yeah, right. Because so, I had the idea that they were a deep water fish, but you, you're sort of saying that they're probably not an exclusively deep water fish. It's just the fact from fishing pressure and spear fishing that they are out in that deeper water. Yeah, well, the Aussie record, I believe, and I could be wrong on this story, but came from 19 metres of water. So that, that's not a deep water fish. Mm -hmm. Now, in saying that, 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 that uh, three kilo fish I shot up here was in significantly deeper water than that. Um, and probably you come into Queensland, the deeper you, you know, further into Queensland you go, the deeper water they, they live in. Um, uh, my, my young fella shot one just recently. 
Uh, it wasn't overly deep. He shot a nice fish just over a kilo, which is a, a really cool pearly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so WU Queensland junior record for him. He did really well. Yeah, wicked, wicked. He's taken a few lately. Um, so we've we've kind of gone from from um, these these dirty water fish with the barramundi to pearl perch that are kind of out in deeper deeper water, and both both species maybe are quite can be quite dumb. Um, let, let's go to job fish. Uh, th- these fish are not dumb by by any stretch. Sure. Now they they can be dumb. You go further north, they can be dumb. Um, mm. where, where do we live? We're probably on the southern extreme of of their, um, you know, of where they live, of their range. Yeah, um, they seem they, they won't eat early down here. I've I've never seen jobfish eat early here, which is which is weird. You go to the Coral Sea, and mate, you drop a bit of early over the side, and there's 15 jobfish eating, and it's it's an odd thing. But down here, it's it's totally different. Um, the, the hunting, therefore, is different. If I if I go up north and you want to shoot a jobby, just chum for a little bit, bang, jobbies will be eating the chum. Uh, when we're in Tonga, they're just, they're just off the chain. You know, they, they just eat chum so bad. They just look crazy for the chum. Uh, but you come here, ours is now all about hiding and laying on the bottom. And uh, probably the further south you go, once you get into New South Wales, still big fish, but it's even more so. It's not just laying on the bottom. It's laying on the bottom in the right spot, and um, and you know you need to be there for a long time. You know it's hiding. It's making sure that when the jobfish finally come in, it's not lifting your gun up, lifting your head up, looking like you actually want to shoot him in the face. It's like <laughs> oh, I don't want to shoot you. I want to be your mate for a moment, and then you want to shoot him in the face. But you got to make him think you don't have to or you don't want to. So yeah. mate, that's the biggest challenge in jobfish. Wanting a fish so bad, but making sure your body language doesn't portray that you want to shoot it bad. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a tough thing to do. And it's one of those things that's unique to spearfishing, I guess. You know, it's, it's yeah, wanting to shoot something so bad, but not giving it away. It's kind of like poker, I guess. And um, so, I mean, one. Those guys, that, that's their biggest challenge. Um, they want to shoot it so bad and they can't hide that. You know, they start waving their gun around. They don't get their gun in the right position early enough. They don't keep their eyes down for those, just those brief moments while he's coming head on, just keeping your eyes down that little bit. Those little things like that just make such a big difference. When you've when you found a good lay on the bottom and, you, and you're hiding, maybe you've got your gun positioned. and uh, do, you, do you like chucking sand or scratching coral um, to try and arouse their curiosity? Do you find that works with jobbies? Yeah, definitely. All those things work. Throwing off a bit of sand, scratching a bit of, a bit of coral. Again, I probably put too much thought into it. I, I wear gloves that I think actually make the right noise. Um, yeah. You know, I, I remember one day locally here, I did three or four drifts on this big school of jogfish, couldn't shoot one, so I took my glove off. I didn't think my glove was quite right, put another glove on. Next dive, scratching, doing the same thing, boom. Yeah, they're coming close enough, and I shot one 12 and a half kilos. So, oh, wow. You know, little things matter, little things count. Um, again, five dives and five drifts in a row, you see big jobbies and you don't shoot one. You get more desperate to want to shoot one and you're thinking, what if the whole school disappears? You know, all of a sudden you start swinging your gun around, start moving too quickly. You start just trying to reach out, get off the bottom when you should be laying down tight. Those sorts of things, you know, are, are a big part of that. So it's, yeah, a bit of scratching, a bit of throwing, but also sometimes just 
hugging your body to the bottom, which is not easy to do when you're busting to go and breathe, and <laughs> and um, mate, hence the danger in hunting those sorts of species. So that's susceptible, but possibly to noise. Maybe is is more the attraction rather than um, things they can see. And I think it's the right noise. Hey, you bump okay. you bump your gun on the bottom when you're trying to swing it round to shoot him, oh, and he's very susceptible to noise because he's he's already swimming north he's already gone you know I, I think the right noise is definitely important and again i probably think too much in that but i really think those things matter yeah. so i mean we've been talking about making noise with your hands with your gloves do you ever make noises with your mouth or your throat when you when you when you're laying down there if you want to shoot a job fish like those sorts of things just best way to spook them away i think they just okay. yeah i think for me, I just have in my head, I'm trying to be a turtle, and he's thinking, what's that turtle over there? He's probably disturbing a, a crab or something like that for me to eat. I think that's probably what the jogfish is coming over to check out when you're throwing that sand. That's just what happens in my head when I'm thinking about it. So, yep. yeah, that's so, mi- on that. so mimicking the, the kind of the life around you. Cool. All right. Turbo, any, anything else for Veterans Vault targeting these three species? What, did, have you got any more questions? Well, I'm just sitting. I'm just sitting here like a sponge, mate, just soaking it up. <laughs> Won't actually shoot a decent one sometimes, so. You shot an o- nah, you shot a nice one yeah, uh, recently. Yeah, six kilos or something. I was pretty happy with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bloody good. That, that's better than me. Um, all right, Tim, any any sort of parting tips for, for that section? Otherwise, we'll move on. Mate, my, my parting tips always to guys, learn how to hunt. If you can learn how to hunt, you'll be a great spearer. That's, mate, for all of those fish, some of them hunting them from the boat, finding them, some of them are... Uh, Hunting them in the water. Yeah, that's probably my parting tips there. Today's podcast brought to you by Audible. Now, you can check out uh, Audible. It's basically audiobooks. If you like the New Spirit podcast, you're probably going to like listening to a book. So go to audibletrial.com forward slash noobspiro to get a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial. Now, some of the audiobooks that Turbo and I both like uh, the 4-Hour Series by Tim Ferriss. Uh, there's the 4-Hour Body, 4-Hour Workweek, the 4-Hour Shift. They're all good. His latest book is uh, Tools of Titans. It's unfortunately not an audio version yet, but definitely check out uh, the 4-Hour Workweek. It's friggin' hilarious. I also would like to listen to The Undisputed Truth by uh, Mike Tyson. I think that would be a great uh, read. And also Bigger, Leaner, Stronger by Michael Matthews. It's a it's the simple science of building the ultimate male body and uh, I definitely need that but uh, you can check this out get a book for free uh, just pump it in audibletrial.com forward slash noobspiro give it a blast check it out and support the noobspiro podcast alright cool next part of the show is a, a bit more of a light lighthearted section it's the uh, funniest thing what's the funniest thing you've seen out spearfishing yeah, man, I've seen a lot of funny things, hey? Um, you, you can tell a few if you like. Mate, uh, my mate Josh Ball, that that guy is is a legend for funny stuff. Um, him and Adam Highbourne do the, the dumbest stuff all the time. They have missed more good fish than most people have even seen good fish. <laughs> uh, uh, I can think of one day and we're, we're diving way up north and found this cave, first time I dove this spot, I found this cave and it was filled with black jew and um, barramundi. And um, Josh Ball just wanted to shoot a black jew and Adam Highland just wanted to shoot a barramundi. And uh, 
I, I dove in when I first dove in, I was like hit the bottom. There's just fish everywhere. I come up, get in the water, boys, it's going off. And so they all jumped in, and, and uh, the footage is hilarious because uh, Josh jumps in, and I was filming at this stage. I was had my my um, camera out filming, and Josh dives down. There's his like black dude sitting in the corner of the cave with his head sticking out of the cave. Just the dumbest fish you've ever seen, and. I literally was a meter away from it filming its head and Josh come into the side to shoot it and he pulls the trigger and as he pulls the trigger, the fish just turns its head a little bit and the spear just goes jams into the sand right beside it. <laughs> and and you completely miss this fish and it's just it didn't even move. It just sat there and stayed there. And I've just come up and I'm like, mate, what are you doing? You know you know that saying, that's a balls up, that comes straight from Josh Ball. Because, <laughs> mate, he, he just balls it up so bad. Next dive, I was filming Adam Highbourn, and he's like, "Mate, I just want to shoot a barrel. I just want to shoot a barrel." Mate, we dive down. There's black juice sitting in the in the in the cave, about 20 kilos, and a barrel, probably 12, 13 kilos, sitting right in front of it. And he dives down. I'm filming this barrel, thinking he's going to shoot the barramundi, and he just lines up. And on the surface, he literally said, "I I don't want to shoot a black juice. I've shot black juice before. All I want to shoot this barrel." And he's laying there looking at this black juice and barrel. And he just pulls the trigger and shoots the black Jew. And when he shot it, he actually <laughs> skimmed the top of the, the barramundi and made a mark on its back. And it swam off. And I'm like, oh, he missed it and hit the black Jew. I come up and I'm like, mate, why'd you shoot that black Jew? He's like, oh, there's no barra. <laughs> I'm like, mate, you skimmed a barramundi shooting that black Jew. He's like, no way, no way. We got home and watched the footage. Mate, he is like completely skimmed the top of this barra shooting this <laughs> black Jew. And he did not even see it. Uh, mate. Those two messed up so many good fish. I could talk all day about the wicked fish those two messed up. Just blowing awesome fish. Um, mate, probably the only other really funny one, which was sort of a scary one, but funny also in hindsight. Bryce and I were diving off Morton Island and we're diving on a spot, a little bit deeper water, and we're diving together with a drop weight on this spot. And there was no, no current and... Uh, our mate um, Gareth OG was sleeping in the boat, and, uh, and I, I dove down and I shot a, about a seven kilo um, spangled emperor, and I was just diving. I couldn't see anything, and I was uh, I shoot spango. I shot the spango. And I look over and there's a black jute, uh, sorry school of mulloway come in as I shot it. I'm like, come up. I'm like, oh, Bryce, so sorry, just messed it up. I shot this stupid spango and instead of the mulloway. I'm like, mate, dive down see if you can stone one. So he dove down stone one. He's like, yep, they're still sitting there. Uh, so I'm like, great. I'm like, I clipped the my my fish on the drop on the on the mermaid line that we had, and I'm like, oh, chuck your fish on there and just keep an eye on me, and I'll see if I can get one too. And he swims back, and my spango's been eaten by a shark, and he's like, oh, I might just hold this fish, and the shark's already eaten your spango. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, so I dove, got to the bottom, and I couldn't see any any dew. I was just waiting there for a bit, and the whole school come in, and I shot one. And mate, when I shot it, I didn't quite stone it. It just kicked it a little bit, and I felt this swoosh above my head. And I'm like, what was that? I turned around, big whaler, just like almost took my head off. I just swished and turned off right above my head. So I shoot the surface. I'm like, Bryce, get down on my fish. There's going to be whaler on it for sure. Put my head back in the water. Mate, there was a whaler and three bull sharks trying to eat it. And I'm like, ah, oh, this fish is done for sure. And uh, so I'm trying to pull it up, and this bull shark grabbed it front on, and I shot it from behind, and the spear was coming out its mouth, so I couldn't really swallow it, and I was keeping pressure on it, and and um, and he spat it out, and I'm like, oh, I've got this fish, and I started reefing it quickly, and this whaler come flying up underneath and grabbed it as well, 
when it grabbed it, it was coming straight at me, sort of shaking its head, shaking the fish and my spear. And I went back the other way, trying not to get hit by this fish, like this shark coming up, shaking its head at me. And like it broke water right in front of me. And I was backing out of the way, trying not to get hit by it. And I just looked to my left and this bull shark was about to grab me on the fin. So I pulled my legs up and he lifted me out of the water and I rolled down his back and, and I pushed myself off the bull shark and it spat out my, my the whale spat out my jew at the same time. And I'm like, oh, there's my jew. I just sort of grabbed it and, and I half laughed because I, I can't believe that just happened. And bull shark turned on me and I had my gun and pushed it away with my with my roller gun, uh, with some of my real gun. And, and it, like pushed back a little bit and I'm like, Bryson, get over here. And I turned around and he looked like he was about to cry and he had his hands in the air with his with his jewfish holding it out of the water. I'm like, what are you doing? Why didn't you help me? And he just like he just barely could speak. He's like, I thought you were dead. I'm like, what is dead? Get over here, idiot. And we were back to back and we're yelling at G G and like G woke up and he just like starts the boat and tries to drive over to us, but the anchor was down, so he's like, Oh, gets halfway there and the boat spins around and we dive into the boat. We finally get in the boat, and the like, bull sharks are right at the back of the boat. And I'm just like, I couldn't stop laughing. I think it was just adrenaline. I'm just like, I can't believe that just happened. And Bryson's like, I'm not getting in the water for the rest of the day. And, uh, <laughs> still affects him. I think like three years ago, and still in his head a little bit diving dirty water. So yeah, it was it was funny. Just Bryson's face, like, was uh, I thought you were dead. <laughs> Well, I guess that was a funny story. Uh, we could have chucked that in the scary moment just as equally, I think. Sure, sure. All right, you've been, you've been sponsored by Rife in the past. Um, let's go to your dive bag, Tim. Um, so head to toe, what are you sort of wearing? Are you still sponsored by Rife now? Yeah, still still got a relationship with the Rife guys over over in America. Actually, just when I was over there, I stopped in the at the uh, at the Rife factory, which is pretty cool. Uh, mate, that that is an awesome place for any Spiro to go. Oh man, so much gear. It's awesome. I, I love my gear. So, uh, mate, in my bag, in my dive bag, um, mate, I've got a uh, obviously a Rife 120 Euro. So that's my go-to gun. I use that most of the time. Uh, I've got a, a one a one meter Euro as well, which mate, I love both of those. I've got reels on those. I got a 130 Euro. I use when we use you know diving in deeper water. We usually go rig rig line doing that sort of stuff just for sheer safety. So. Yeah. Uh, I actually got the right guys to make me up a 60 meter um, float line um, just for diving in that deeper stuff. Uh, just yeah, it's, it's a great rig line. Just you can really work it out of the bottom and, and those sorts of things. So is that is that is that the orange stuff they make? No, no. This this is the the black float line. The actual um, yep. I guess got Half one. one. Yeah, and I've got another 20 20 meter one of the of the new ones that they got as well. The the orange ones that you're saying got one of those. Um, that you know, have to add every now and then to that. So um, we we use those as that, and, and just then I've got a, a, a two atmosphere float. Um, made also then like actual wetsuits wise, I use my rife rife wetty rife gloves, rife booties, yeah, uh, rife snorkel. I really love the rife stable snorkel. Um, yeah, took a little bit to get used to that thing, but man, I tell you what, every time I use any other snorkel now, it's just like ah, feel weird okay. using any other snorkel. Uh, mate, I actually use. Is it just a J snorkel? Uh, no, one of the ones with that actual. Perch. Mate, I don't know. Yep, perch valve on it. Mate, also goggles wise, I use the um, Technisub Micro Mask. 
Uh, mate, I think if anyone wants to dive deeper, they're the sort of things that are really important. Mate, putting the air into your, into your snorkel and so putting air into your goggles is a really important thing, equalising your goggles, diving deeper water. Mate, uh, you know, a lot of guys can't equalise past the 30 metres and part of that is they've got these massive big goggles that just squash their eyes because they've got no air to put back in them. Um, we have micro mask, you know, most of the time when I'm diving, my eyelashes are touching the mask and they've still got really good field of view. So um, I'm a big fan of those. And okay. uh, fins wise, I've got my dive R's and um, big fan of my dive R's. I've got the new, um, I don't know what you call those ones. Carbon Kevlar or something? No, uh, the new carbon Inegras. Okay. okay. Actually, okay. yeah, I've got a set of those off, off Ray Power recently. And, uh, mate, they are a super set of fins. I've got to be honest, the best fins I've ever had. So um, I think just they feel like you're not wearing fins, but you're moving so fast. They're really super cool. I love some of the dive art designs. And, uh, but, yeah, he's got some good gear. What what pockets are you running on that? Mate, I have got pockets. <laughs> I knew I'd get you there. Yeah, you, you did. I've got no idea. Um, um, Mares, they are actually. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, they're nice, but you still get good transfer from uh, your foot to the blade. So yeah, they are nice pockets. And if you ask Ray on that one, he'll tell you that 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 transfer is something you have to be careful of because sometimes the rubber actually takes away the natural spring of the blade. So mm. as long as they're holding in there firmly, that's that's what's important. So yeah. I watched a video of your finning technique from maybe oh it would have been it'd be eight or nine years ago, and it was friggin' woeful, Tim. <laughs> You were bending your knee. You were bending your knees really badly. I was like, "Oh, what's going on?" I thought Tim was an epic diver, and then I watched you some footage from maybe a year or two ago, and there was a big improvement. Did you do something consciously to improve your technique, or what? What happened there? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to. I didn't, I'm not trying to be rude. I was just all cheeky, but that was kind of what I noticed. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I. I've never done a dive course, so again, my, my whole freediving learning is from reading up um, Bello Petrozari's book and then just a little bit of stuff I've read on the on the net. So, yeah, mate, I, I really don't know. Oh, okay. I was wondering, I was wondering what had happened because, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, none of us, I mean, everyone's got sort of sort of things they're working on, but it just looked like you'd put a bit of conscious effort into your finning technique, and uh, so I thought I'd ask the question and put you under the pump. Yeah, mate, I've got no answer for that. Maybe it's something that uh, I've done subconsciously, and just yeah, mate, I've got nothing. Got All nothing. Right. <laughs> well, you're one of the you're one of the better divers in the area, so maybe I'm being super cheeky because I probably don't even dive half the depths you do. So, but um, yeah, no, cool. Anything else in your dive bag? What what knives are you running? Uh, mate, I got rifle knife. Um, and don't ask me uh, the stable knife. I think that's what it's called. Okay. Uh, the rice stable knife. Mate, obviously, I've got my, my GoPro as well, and and key part of what we do is filming all the time. So, um, mate, always making sure I've got my camera there and, and batteries and stuff to keep filming during the day. Yeah. Um, mate, uh, my, I use a rifle weight belt, and I've always got a belt reel on as well. Uh, I use I use a, a belt reel they don't make anymore, but one of the old Rabitek ones. Okay. Uh, they're a really good belt reel. Um, mate, one thing I also do, if I'm hunting in shallow water, instead of sticking extra weight on my weight belt, I'll, I'll wear a vest. So I've got a vest all the time that I throw on and off, depending on the depth of water I'm diving, because okay. you know, that's also you know, a really important one. If you're diving in deeper water, you drop the weight. 
you're diving in the shallow water, you add the weight just to make sure your dive's a lot easier. And, and yeah, that's something that, that I add to my uh, dive bag as well. Mm. Mate, probably you're... probably the, the other gun. I also got my 75 roller, good name right roller. Um, actually, I actually got uh, Travis to, to make it custom to what I wanted recently. And mate, super bits of gear. Hey, I love those things. They're really mm. cool. We've... Uh... We've had Travis on the show recently. That that interview hasn't gone live yet, but it will soon. He's a he's an interesting man to chat to. We like the Amrite gear as well, so oh, that's pretty cool. You've you've also been doing a bit of travel lately. Um, what what bags are you using? I'm curious to know. Um, mate, what I used to use was just an old surfboard bag. Okay. Um, but last time I was over at Rife, they gave me this really awesome bag. Um, fits all my guns, all my all my gear in, and um. It was just a, a test bag that they that they'd put together, and they never actually ended up selling them. And I was there, I'm like, that bag's awesome. I want that bag. Uh, and so, yeah, they gave me that bag, which is super cool. That's um, sweet. But, man, I used to just take a surfboard bag with me everywhere, and I think probably one of the coolest things to travel with is a surfboard bag. And it's hard to get bags, you know, gun bags long enough to, to stick a, a 120 euro and a 1.7 spear in. So um, surfboard bag treated me well for a long time but uh, now I've got one of the rock bags I had a, a smaller rock bag but I could never get my 1.7 mil spears in it yeah I remember when I was just starting out in Brisbane I mean watching all of your spearfishing down under magazine DVDs and and you and Daniel and Bryson featuring them pretty heavily and uh, you guys were always uh, either writing stories or you know in, in videos so it's, it's pretty neat to chat with you today the um yeah with our terrible finning technique sort of <laughs> <laughs> oh, look I, I i seriously i was only watching it maybe six months ago and i thought jeepers tim's a really good diver it can't be him <laughs> but it was just something i thought I'd, i thought i'd just give you a bit of stick about it um Last part of the show is um, Spiro Q&A. It's a faster-paced round of the show. Turbo loves this section, Tim, so I might let him lead off with some questions. He loves this part. Oh, really? <laughs> Mate, these are real deep philosophical questions penned by Shrek. They're fantastic. I love them. <clears throat> this is my favourite, cool. mate. If you had to start all over again, what would you do differently? Um, mate. When I read that question, I wouldn't do much differently. I, yeah, I really love the journey of learning. So, mate, I would have, um, I would have done everything the same. I love the journey. I love what I've learned. Uh, probably, if I did anything differently, probably would have. Uh, no, I wouldn't have even done that. I was going to say I probably would have made more mates, but I'm probably too secretive to do that more often. So maybe I wouldn't have. Just keep doing yep, what we're doing. Cool. All right. Uh... I like this one as well. If you could go back in time to when you were just starting spearfishing and give yourself some advice, what would you say to yourself? Oh, man. I remember, I remember diving on this wicked school of massive snapper that I've never seen before in shallow water, and they were dumb, yep. but I was dumber, so I never shot one that day. <laughs> I, I would yeah. say, hey, mate, bomb diving and chasing those fish is never going to help you. Stop doing that. Uh, I would probably give myself um, some some better ideas on how to hunt those snapper. Honestly, there was 10 kilo fish there here locally, massive snapper, and I just continually blew them. In, in fact, I actually shot at one and put a big line up its side where my spear didn't go in. So oh. one of those moments that is still haunting me, to be honest. I would say, hunt oh, yeah. this boy, you're an idiot. Uh, some of those experiences <laughs> shaped you and probably made that. Help make you the hunter you are now, though. So, it, it, 
All right, I'm going right. Should we keep going with this tell, line tell of questioning? You, you don't ask these questions very well. I'm going to take over. If um, d- During your, what are we at? You'll be 15, 15 years of spearfishing. What's the single biggest lesson you've learned? Well, I'm going to go back to that surface interval thing. Um, for safety-wise, for sheer safety, um, having guys beside you and diving together as a team and keeping a good surface interval has has been the best thing I've learned. Mate, I've seen a lot of guys black out. I've seen a lot of guys have sambers. And, um, mate, you know, I haven't lost anyone out of my boat. We've done, you know, some pretty deep diving and some crazy stuff, but we've done it together. So keeping surface interval and diving together as a team has probably been the biggest thing I've learned. And, mate, for us, for the guys I dive with, we all shoot wicked fish because we all dive together as a team. So that's been a big thing. Oh, cool. Who, who, who's the sing? If you had to name one person, who is the single best person to go spearfishing with, and why? Um, man, that's that's a hard one. I'd have to say Bryson um, for me because uh, honestly, Bryson and I just dive together so similarly. If we if we're doing a drift, and I'll breathe up and dive, nine times out of ten, I'll look as I've dove, and Bryson's also dove exactly the same time. Um, you know, we obviously think very similar. We hunt very similar. Uh, so, you know, diving with him, you don't even have to tell him what to do. He's doing it before I even think of it as well, you know, and exactly the same for me, diving with him. So, uh, mate, I've got lots of really awesome mates to dive with, but probably Bryson uh, is up there. Yeah, he's probably the only guy I've ever dove with that comfortably dives the same depths that I've dove as well. So, yeah, Bryson's right up there. Oh, all right. And uh, Turbo's favourite question, uh, could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? Oh, this is deep. Ooh. Too philosophical? Oh, mate, it means, it means a lot. Hey, one sentence is hard, and probably it's hard because I've experienced in two different places. I've experienced in Western society where spearfishing is a lifestyle full of enjoyment, but I've also spent a lot of times on Pacific Islands where spearfishing is living. It's food it's yeah. you know putting putting something in your tummy so i've seen both sides of it and um and for me i think it's hard to differentiate the two because I've, I've been and spent a lot of time in the pacific islands where mate, uh, those guys just love the fact that i'm there because i'm i'm just giving them some something that they can't afford to buy so yeah mm-hmm. so i mean you, you've done a lot of filming with um, Spearfishing Down Under magazine. Tim, that's unfortunately no longer with us. You're still filming, I believe. Where are your videos now, and how, how can guys sort of get a hold of you? Mate, that's probably something. Daniel Mann is on me every day to, to keep using my footage. The, the last footage we used for, for uh, SDM was from uh, four years ago, so wow. July years ago so I've got four years of spearfishing footage that really is nowhere except for on my computer that I watch all the time so uh, <laughs> spanners on me all the time he's like man you need to keep editing you need to keep doing stuff but yeah I don't know um, maybe it's something I need to pull my finger out and do he's been hassling me to do a YouTube channel and do a few different things and yeah I've got a couple of different thoughts on what I want to do but uh, mate I, yeah, I've got some pretty epic footage over the last bunch of years that I've just done nothing with so alright yeah, well, it sounds like you need to do something. I mean, you, you're on Instagram. Uh, people can come and find you there. Um, is there anything else you, you, you want me to link up in the show notes? Guys can come and have a look at. I'm going to link up that big Marlin video. 
Yeah, mate, I'm Insta on Facebook and probably I should get my YouTube channel going, Dan's Hassling Me Hassling. I probably should do something with that. Um, it's something that we thought about actually just recreating the name Spearfishing Down Under is something that I'd really love to do as well. Mm. Uh, I think it was it was iconic for our for our whole nation spearfishing for a bunch of years and something I'd love to revive. Probably yeah, not cool. in the magazine, but just in the videos that we did were, were pretty cool. Yeah, no, sweet. Well, if um, if you do do that in the future, give us a yell. We'd, we'd love to um, get a hold of that and promote it as well. So, no, awesome to have you join us today, Tim. Hey, been great. Been great chatting to you guys. And uh, sorry for um, mock, mocking you, Finning Tim. Thanks, Tim. Matt. Uh, it's all good. I'm going to go out the pool for the next three hours and just make sure my legs are No, don't take any notice of me. I'm just a freaking podcast dude. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. All right. Well, uh, yeah. We'll catch you, catch you again another time. Thank you. Look forward to it. In Tim's dive bag today, we've heard about a lot of rife equipment, and a dive watch is probably on your radar as well. Now, the Sunto D4F is pretty cheap there on spearfishing.com.au or any of this rife equipment he's mentioned. Look, use the code Noob Sparrow, save yourself $20, support the Noob Sparrow podcast while you're doing it. So get on there, have a look, spearfishing.com.au, and don't forget to use the code Noob Sparrow if you want to save 20 bucks and support the show. Thanks, guys. Woo! What a bloody cracker. That was a super good interview. I really was super keen to um, chat with Tim, and uh, you know, we got a ton of ton of awesome information out of him today. Uh, I almost wanted to apologize for uh, making cheeky comments about his fitting technique, but anyway, right, uh, in a fortnight's time, we are off to North Cal again. We are talking with an ab chasing, I don't know what to call him yet, I haven't titled the episode but it's Matt Madison from the NorCal Underwater Hunters this episode is guaranteed to entertain you uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good fella and just like Jim Russell up there, the North Californians they seem to do something a little different, there must be something in the water but I certainly want to get over there for a spear one day, it's on Turbo, me and Turbo's travel plans for sure so thanks for listening this week guys head over to noobspear.com and sign up to the Floater newsletter and stay in touch about all of the comings and goings on at Noob Spear. so awesome, thanks for connecting today guys bye bye